Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Welcome back to your weekly dose of hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics here on the First Gen Hunter Podcast. Episode number 48 rolling at you here over the airwaves. 48 episodes, people. We've been doing this journey together for quite some time, and I sure am happy to have you along the way. Tonight, we have an extra special guest. We brought in Miss Laura Upham, a forester from the state of Delaware. She actually lives on the Maryland side of the line and does a lot of her hunting and fishing up that way and trapping, as we'll talk about, trapping too. Uh, And Laura is actually our first female guest we've ever had on the podcast, and she has one of the most impressive outdoor resumes. As you just heard me say, she participates in all those activities. And here's a little secret. She's a first-gen hunter. Yep, that's right. Didn't grow up in a hunting home. Had to be shown the ropes by, uh, I believe she says, her uncles and uh, probably a few friends along the way. But she is a true first-gen hunter and has one of the coolest outdoor resumes that I've heard. And so uh, that should be inspiration to you. It should be inspiration to me, of course, as a fellow first-gen hunter and anyone who's been hunting their whole life because it'll show you that if there's ever something new you want to pick up, just go and do it. Jump right in. Both feet, right? And that's what we're trying to do here every episode of the First Gen Hunter Podcast. Look into something new. Try to better ourselves any way that we can. Well, it's really in that transition time now. You know, we have super windy days here. Some days it settles down for a few days as the front kind of moves in and sits around. And we get some either uh, several days of rainy weather or several days of nice sunny warm weather and I did a little bit of shed hunting of course here recently and I didn't find one but my good friend Lucas Fritch that I mentioned on here all the time he did and uh, it was quite a dandy uh, Lucas and I we teach at the same school and speaking of that school I've been telling uh, some of my students who are a fan of the show, they like to, they like to find out uh, what their teachers do outside of school. I think they were just surprised that we have a life outside of school, to be honest with you. But once they caught wind of First Gen Hunter, uh, they, uh, they started looking it up and, and everything else, and they've been very kind about that. And um, I told them uh, that I'd give them a little shout-out on one of the podcasts. So this is a shout-out to my first hour honors bio students thanks for not being too hard on good old mr boucher so uh there's a shout out to them uh but uh yeah my friend lucas and i we were out looking for antlers and uh we hit this little patch we hadn't walked yet this year and there was this beautiful five point side with a giant flat brow it was really cool it's kind of flat like a flathead screwdriver and it was a hard white probably uh i'm gonna guess two year old antler and um but in just really good shape for its age and uh, you can see a picture of it if you head over to my instagram at first.gen.hunter and uh, you get a good picture of that we found it with his uh, daughter Uh, we kind of let it sit there a little bit and let her uh let her uh get the joy of going and and walking up on it and and uh, getting to pick it up and everything so that was that was really a cool thing so i hope you're still able to get out there a little bit and have a little bit of fun yet uh as uh 
the weather changes and we'll be into full swing on turkey hunting here very soon well uh tonight's episode is going to be about seeka deer mostly we're here about laura's background as a first-gen hunter first-gen trapper first uh just a, a, a you know somebody who's really poured their life into the outdoors uh but before we do uh, this is, since this is kind of a uh, uh, unique episode, and you guys know how much I want to go seek a deer hunting over in, in this neck of the woods, um, I figured I'd give you a tip of the day that is pertinent to this kind of situation, something that I've been learning here in the last couple of years. You know, if you uh, went to college out of state or just to a big enough college, even if it was in the same state where you live, so that you're pulling in people from all over the country, or maybe you network with people through work, or, uh, you know, if you have to travel for work or something like that, if you, if you make some connections that are in another state that you have some interest in hunting, uh, make sure you talk to those people about hunting there. Because even if they aren't hunters themselves, they're going to be able to provide you some valuable information on the area. And it might be just as simple as, hey, here's a good place to stay that's not too far from this big public hunting area that I know uh, a lot of people like to go hunt at or something, you know, something like that. In fact, a good friend of brand of mine that we've mentioned on this podcast before who uh, lives in the same neck of the woods as Brandon and our guest, Laura, Mr. Uh, Mark Zockel, actually I should say Dr. Mark Zockel. I like to call him Doc Zock. He's a really cool guy and I'm really hoping to actually uh, bring him along for the Seek a Deer hunt whenever I get get out there to hunt with Brandon and uh, chase after these really cool marsh dwelling deer. But uh, I've talked with Mark about this exact plan several times and Mark has never uh, hunted in his life. But man, has he been able to track down some helpful information already uh, just because he's there and he understands what the area is like and he's lived there pretty much his whole life, I think, if not his whole life. And so uh, a local guide, even if they aren't a hunter, can be uh, super helpful to talk to. Plus, just a great way to connect and and continue to build those uh, good relationships that we have with those people and hopefully even maybe have the opportunity to bring somebody new into this great activity that uh, we are all so, uh, should we say it? I don't know, taken with, obsessed with, I don't know. We just really love it. <laughs> but uh, use use those connections to uh, uh, deepen your friendships there, but also to um, um, even uh, uh, get some good information on uh, where to hunt and, how to, and, and maybe even how to hunt in some cases. So that's your tip of the day. Let's get on here to episode number 48, Talking Seek a Deer with Miss Laura Upham on the First Gen Hunter Podcast. Brandon, have you ever come to realize or acknowledge some kind of untapped resource that's, you know, kind of been right there on your doorstep for years? And for whatever reason, you've just kind of, you know, not really come to know its full glorious existence. Maybe like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So I think you see where I'm going here. I'm talking like, you yes. know, maybe a, a good steakhouse or a, uh, you know, <laughs> like a, a good public park or mm-hmm. ma- maybe mm-hmm. even a, a public hunting area, you know, kind of like a yep. little, yep. kind of like what my uh, brother Jake and I found this year. It was kind of a nice yes. little, uh, hidey hole spot. And he ended up mm-hmm. passing on his, uh, first buck he ever had at bow range um and, mm-hmm. and ended up paying off for him too down the road <laughs> but uh yeah right but um 
So, so you know what you know the feeling that I have. It's almost like a retroactive FOMO, right? It's all of a sudden, <laughs> right? Like, like you now have the fear of your past of missing out on this great thing. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I, I've mm-hmm. for all these years, I've this has been yeah. right here, and I yep. have not taken advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Well, as much as I love you, Brandon. I hope that you have a huge heaping helping of that feeling by the end of this episode because you live in a state where you can acquire a whole new version of venison that like 99% of the rest of the United States cannot obtain. And that is Sika deer. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited for tonight to talk about this and something that I've been interested in for, you know, a long time and learning more about it and everything. And, you know, that's why we say, you know, out here on the East coast, we've got some unique things. And so definitely excited to talk about this a little bit tonight. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And we've talked, uh, we've, we've, we've given lip service to Sika deer several Mm -hmm. times on this podcast. And in fact, um, you know, our buddy Alex Groon from over at East to West, we're we're hoping to get him on the bus and come out and visit you in uh yes the they call it, i mean do they call every state up there the commonwealth you know are you guys the commonwealth of delaware is that just virginia's thing i, I don't th- i yeah i don't think i don't think delaware is has a history of, of being a commonwealth so i think I, I think we just we just go with the the small wonder the uh the little diamond state, things like that. We 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 just go with that. I like that. The diamond state, the little diamond state. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's good. Okay. Well, when we go out to the diamond state, we're hoping that maybe yeah. either in Delaware we can hunt some Sika or uh jump the uh the border that isn't that far away and uh head yes. over to Maryland, Maryland. to hunt yep. some Sika. Mm-hmm. But yep. Yep. Since since you cannot be our Sika Sherpa tonight, mm-hmm. we had to go to somebody who uh, has some mm-hmm. s- successful, we'll even say, successful yes. Sika experience. And I want to say that puts you in a very small circle of, yes. of people yes. if uh, you can claim that you have tagged a wild Sika deer in the United States. And so the person that we uh, tapped for this phone call is Miss Laura Upham, who uh, works for uh, the state of Delaware as a, is, is, is your official position a forester or a wildlife biologist, Laura? I'm a forester. A forester. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually uh, spent some time wandering the woods with a forester here in Iowa this uh last summer and i'll say this you guys are some cool people and uh <laughs> yeah right uh the 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 person that i that i talked with actually ended up um uh solving a poison ivy mystery for me something that you could probably uh uh you know give a little crash course to brandon on uh before this <laughs> podcast ends but uh, i had no idea you know of course I, you know that that it's an ivy, right? So it's supposed to like grow on stuff. You know, I'm, I'm a, mm-hmm. uh, I'm a Cubs fan by, uh, uh, mostly by proximity, but you know, I like the Cubs and, uh, you have, of course, you know, the, uh, the nice ivy covered, uh, outfield there in uh, Wrigley field. Uh, so mm-hmm. I get the idea of ivy and all that. I'm a biology teacher. I get it from that, I that sense, but 
really, I only ever thought of poison ivy as like the little plant sprouting out of the ground at about kneecap level and never thought of the big, huge, thick anaconda-like vine creeping up the side of a tree way up into the, you know, canopy. Mm. And Mm -hmm. uh, she pointed that out to me and it's like, oh, now I get it why people say, yeah, I was practicing with my uh, tree stand this weekend and I have no idea how I got poison ivy. I didn't see any poison right. ivy uh, anywhere. And it's like, <laughs> now I know how they got poison ivy. <laughs> 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 so, so one of the more valuable lessons I picked up from uh, from mm. that uh, walk through the woods. But no, that's a, that's a really cool job. And I got to say, you know, we've had some really fantastic guests on uh the show but i don't Mm -hmm. know if any of them have quite the resume that laura does (laughs) in the woods i mean i'd uh, say so oh man yeah so so brandon here is kind of our our intermediate contact he's the one who said hey you should talk to to laura sometime you know we should we should bring her on the podcast she's she does all this incredible stuff i know she has experience hunting seeker deer but she also uh has a blood trailing service so you you have a dog that you've trained we'll talk about that in a second to help people recover uh wounded game um you uh do a lot of trapping um in fact uh <laughs> we had to postpone this a week uh just because my uh my uh, as always i bought bit off more than i could chew and try to jam a ton of stuff into one week last week and it, there was just no way it was going to work and i was kind of like hitting panic mode and i was like hey uh laura do you mind if we push it back a week and uh <laughs> laura's like actually that'd be great because i just caught my hand in one of my muskrat traps <laughs> and, and oh uh, no <laughs> i was like like wow this this podcast just got so much better <laughs> so so uh obviously a lot of experience with trapping and uh of course uh what we're bringing you on for tonight which is your experience hunting but also as a forester you live and breathe the outdoors and we are privileged to have you here on the podcast so thank you so much Laura for joining us tonight You're welcome I'm excited to be here yeah and uh you know just just a little bit of a warning uh brandon and i we tend to get off topic here and there and uh <laughs> start uh you know it starts it starts to break down at some point but uh <laughs> but uh it uh it, it'll, it will always circle back and it's always a good time plenty of laughs yeah so. that's right that's right <laughs> so, so so anyways uh as i as i mentioned uh brandon had brought you up in in some conversation you know i think we were probably i was probably going on about my dream to hunt seek a deer someday and uh brand's like hey i know somebody who uh actually just tagged a seek a deer this year i'm like you do <laughs> and, and uh it, it immediately uh piqued my interest which by the way just uh i gotta camp out on this for a second um speaking of rabbit trails uh peaked do you guys get annoyed when people spell peaked your interest like P E A K E D instead of, <laughs> yeah. instead yeah, of, yeah, yeah, P I Q U E D? Yeah, yeah, you know, that's 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 something I've, I don't know, maybe I'm becoming kind of like a literary, you know, like a literature snob or something, or what's the right term? Uh, gr- gr- too much of a grammarian or something, but uh, well, your, your wife is like you said, she's the ultimate proofreader, so she's <laughs> she's training you well. 
That's right. And she's from, and she's from <laughs> New England and I'm from Iowa. So everything I say is wrong, but, uh, that, that is, that, that is, that is uh, one thing. That is one thing that I've learned. The other thing, the other grammatical thing that drives me crazy, this is more of just like a, like a phrase that people butcher all the time. And that's, uh, mm. couldn't care less versus could care less mm. and i used mm-hmm. to be a guilty party mm. and my dad actually corrected me he's like when you say that you could care less you're not really saying anything at all but when you when you say that <laughs> you couldn't care less now you're now you're making a statement but anyways we're we're, we're getting off to <laughs> topic already but when you brought up that laura was a seek a deer hunter and mm-hmm. a blood tracker it's like wow, we got to get this person on the yeah. podcast. So, so, yeah. so here we are. And, um, uh, Brandon shared, shared Laura's information with me. And, uh, you know, like I said, got on her Facebook page and it's very evident. In fact, I think Laura, if I'm not mistaken, uh, just this last week, you had some, uh, beaver for supper. Yeah. Yeah. We took a, <laughs> um, a small beaver and put it on the smoker for the day and, had it a few different meals and it was fantastic. Man, that That's is, amazing. That is so cool. Now, what about muskrats? Do you uh, are you are you adventurous enough to uh, try throwing a muskrat in the smoker? Um, I've never put one in the smoker. I do occasionally eat muskrats. I'll be honest with you, I don't prefer muskrats. Sure. Um, <laughs> beavers, all the beavers we catch, we definitely eat. Beaver meat's fantastic. Muskrats, they're a little marshy for lack of better word <laughs> <laughs> kind of like that kind of almost like eating a catfish probably right kind of minerally tasting or something um yeah i think you're you're on the right track there <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're a bra- you're a braver person than me there's no way i could uh well i'm sure i'm sure if somebody like put it in front of me i could i could take i could try taste but i couldn't like bring myself to say you know, yes, muskrat is what is for supper tonight. <laughs> yeah, know. right. <laughs> I would definitely try the beaver though. That sounds that sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah beaver, beaver is excellent. It's probably actually one of my favorite wild game meats. Really? Nice. Huh? Yeah. Nobody, everyone thinks I'm crazy, but no, it really is. You know, I always wonder if, like, during the era of beaver trapping, you know, like the Hudson mm-hmm. Bay trading days and stuff like that. Uh, did did those trappers eat a lot of beaver or was it like no man we only eat you know venison or or elk or something like that you know what it just makes me wonder how much of that did they end up eating you know of course you know like how the things went down with the buffalo and and right. uh you know a lot of that went to waste but i always wondered if they ate a lot of beaver but turns yeah my know. understanding is they did <laughs> okay okay so, so <laughs> they, bet, do, yeah. they do not have that retroactive fomo that brandon's about to have you know <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's, it's funny because you know one of the uh, properties actually the property that laura actually came out and uh it helped us you know track a deer a bit um the the landowner actually had back when we first started leasing that property had actually had beavers on the property and uh it was very interesting because i'd never really had experience with beavers and you know we're walking through the woods you know along this ditch and like it's just like these trees are just carved down Hmm. and we're like what and this really the first experience i really ever had and i mean at the time i was you know, just kind of in college, whatever else. And, 
you know, they actually had, they, they had you know, probably some people right from, right from Laura's neck of the woods probably come in and they actually trapped them and removed the beavers, mm-hmm. um, because they were starting to cause some damage, you know, in the area and whatnot. So they actually removed them and I don't know what ultimately they did with them, but it, pretty, pretty interesting. Huh. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, you were talking about it being so flooded this year where you're hunting. Maybe you need to, maybe you need to yeah, have Laura yeah, come really. in and uh, <laughs> take a few more out of there for <laughs> you. Yeah, I know. I know. Right. I mean, man, it, it, some, some normal whitetail habitat could have been some sika deer habitat this year. I mean, with as crazy, as crazy wet as it was, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. From what you were saying, it looked really, and, and some of the pictures I saw looked really wet. But, oh um, man. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, maybe maybe this is good that we, we can start introducing them into other into other areas. This is good. That's what we want. <laughs> That's right. You know, a, a, a slow day of deer hunting wouldn't be so slow if you knew you had a couple of uh, a beaver sets out there waiting to right. Uh, waiting there you to go. Yeah, pick up some more uh, game meat and a good uh, a good uh, pelt to add to your collection. Maybe get yourself right? a nice uh, set of beaver mittens or something like that. That'd be uh, yeah, really. <laughs> But well, uh, Laura, with this back, this incredible background in the outdoors, one of the first things when I started following you on Facebook was that, or that came to my mind was where did Laura pick all this up at? You know, is this something that she, she, uh, kind of came into on her own? It seems like to have such a thorough, um, I don't even know what the right word is here, but maybe involvement, such a thorough involvement. Uh, like I said earlier, you live and breathe the outdoors that it would seem that there was probably some sort of mentor that kind of helped you, you know, get started into this. But, you know, other people, I'm sure, you know, find their passion on their own totally for the outdoors. But how did that kind of happen for you? Um, actually, I grew up in a non-hunting home. Oh, um, awesome. <laughs> Perfect yeah, podcast. I guess, I guess the right term. <laughs> um, I've been fishing since I could hold a fishing pole. Uh, so three, four, however old that sure. would be. Um, when it was real, really little, my dad used to hunt occasionally. Um, but he kind of gave that up by the time I got to an age where I was ready to start hunting. Sure. Um, I, I think I should probably mention I actually grew up in Vermont. Um, okay. so the atmosphere and culture oh, around okay. hunting and fishing is a little different there than it is in Maryland. I mean, up there, um, you know, everyone's grandmother had a deer rifle and she saw a deer run by her house during deer season, she was going to shoot it. So it's a little <laughs> bit different. Yeah, it's a little bit different. Um, but I think it started at least my interest in hunting when I was about 10 years old. Um, all the boys in school were getting to go hunting and I was like, I really want to do that too. And I kind of begged my parents <laughs> and eventually they <laughs> relented and my grandfather hunted. Um, and my mom had a number of uncles and cousins and her brother hunted. So they sure. kind of took me under their wing, got me started. Um, I was lucky enough. I, I went out for the first time when I was 11, um, okay. got my first year during the vermont youth hunt that year so i'm a lifelong hunter yeah nice that is such a cool way to get into it wow yeah it was was different and that's a pretty unusual way i would say for you know when you when you ask that question 
that's that's not what most people would say. You know, that I grew up in a non-hunting home and ended up going hunting by the first time at age eleven. <laughs> you know, that yeah, is, right. that is yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. That's that's Even super more cool. Unusual. Yeah, that's and super that, and cool. And just kind of like between that um, and just like growing up in the woods, like I really became passionate about the outdoors. And actually, initially, I wanted to major in either fisheries biology or wildlife biology. And, sure. you know, and this is in high school and I kind of like went on some college visits and I talked to this one college professor who very much said, if you really love to fish, go into wildlife biology. Mm-hmm. If you really love to hunt, go into fisheries. So that way you're fishing. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, go inside with your fun pieces. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I'll show him. I'll go into forestry. (laughs) 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 And and it wasn't long after that, I found out that forestry has a little bit less educational requirements and a lot more full-time employment opportunities. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Yeah. So it was kind of a win-win there. Yeah. Um, The trapping thing I've always been interested in. Um, since Again, since I was a little kid, I think my parents pushed back a little harder on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I came to trapping a little bit later in life when I met a guy, um, believe it or not, through Craigslist. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. It'll make more sense in a minute. He lives a mile down the road from us or from me, and he had some honey for sale in Craigslist. Okay. So, <laughs> local honey went to buy it, got talking, found out he's a trapper. Um, that fall or that winter, he invited me down, let me set a couple fox traps. The next morning, I had my first fox. And um, to this day, he's definitely very much my trapping mentor. So that is cool. That's really cool. That yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's such an amazing way to come into the outdoors. And, and, um, you know, even how it, from an early age, you were having these, these thoughts and, you know, plans and dreams. And, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. of course that's what this podcast is all about. First gen hunter, you know, we're trying to help people that are in that exact position that, you know, and, and, you know, people who listen to podcasts and I'm sure, you know, we've had a few younger listeners out there, but, um, you know, a lot of people don't end up getting either getting the opportunity or maybe, you know, uh, really, kind of like me putting their, their uh, foot down and saying, you know what, I need to stop just thinking about this. I'm going to give it a shot. And you know, that happened for me when I was like 26 and, and uh, you you know, I think it's just such a, such a cool story to hear how that became really your whole life. I mean, when you look at your career and, and everything else you enjoyed doing. Oh, it did. (laughs) I spend almost every day outside. Yeah, that is that is really cool. You know, for for any of us who see Laura's posts like on Facebook, it's like, you know, you it's like one of those things where you're 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 perpetually jealous of Laura because like <laughs> she she truly is able to enjoy the outdoor experience and like for those of us, you know, that have the love for the outdoors and things like that. We look at someone like Laura and it's like, man, like she is living the life. She is really yep. enjoying it. And I mean, it's cool, you know, it's really neat to for, you know, for, for someone to be that exposed to things and enjoy it so much and everything. I mean, that is just, it's so cool to see someone doing something they love and enjoying it. And it's encouragement to the rest of us to get out there and, Hey, maybe we don't, maybe not all of us have the job where we can do that side of things, but we also have opportunity to get out and, you know, get out and Kent, you and I have talked about this many times, 
you know, you know, go after your adventure, you know, whatever you can do, go after your adventure and enjoy. So cool that Laura is able to live it, you know, whether she's working or just enjoying life, she's able to do it, you know, kind of around the clock. So <laughs> that's, you know, it gives us, gives the rest of us uh, something to work towards. Hopefully is maybe something we can do one day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. And, uh, you know, one thing, one thing I wanted to ask you about too, with the, the forestry thing, Laura is, you know, yeah. like, like Brandon's saying, and, and, uh, I actually, you know, I, I brought that up to the forester that I was, I was, uh, uh, talking with this summer and, uh, you know, a lot of times for, for myself and, and Brandon outsiders, you know, it looks like, you know, wow, that's a, that's a blissful job, <laughs> but I'm sure there's hard, <laughs> there's, there's hard days of work and, and, um, you know, things that you don't want to do. But one of the things that I recently heard about was, uh, you know, some of the more, you mentioned there's more job, full-time job opportunities. And I believe some of those opportunities are, you know, to, to jive with state law, you know, like logging operations and stuff have to have a yeah. trained, uh, forester on, I'm not necessarily employed, but on site, uh, to, you know, make sure everything's being done appropriately for, you know, con conservation sake. And, uh, that's gotta be a tough job. I mean, uh, cause you're a, when you're working in that realm, you're a no person. You're, you're not a yes man. You're a no man, <laughs> you, you know? And, and, uh, I imagine that there's, that's, that's probably a pretty stressful job. Have you ever had to work in that capacity before? Um, a little bit when I was a consulting forester back when I first got out of college, um, not every state has that kind of requirement. Sure. Um, none of our states here that I work in now, I strictly Missions is strictly work in Delaware. I do a very small amount of side work in Maryland. Okay. Um, I still maintain a, a forestry license in Maryland. Um, now, kind of my role as far as logging goes um, is all the erosion and sediment control plans for logging harvests have to be. I get the opportunity and the pleasure of approving all those, sure. doing all the inspections for those harvests in Sussex County, Delaware. Um, wow. Okay. So yeah, sometimes you have to be, you know, the hard hand. Um, thankfully, you know, the rules are spelled out. Uh, they're called best management practices. There's a whole manual that talks about how to do it and what's actually required by law. Um, and, and ultimately what you're looking at protecting water quality is kind of the main objective at the end of the day on that. So. Mm, sure. Sure. No, that's a, uh... That's, that's a good thing, but I agree with Brandon, your, your job does, and you know, just, just what you do with outside, you know, puts us, yeah. puts Brandon and me to shame and makes us. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Fire. The next couple of days, as long as the weather holds out, we're going to continue doing that. So you get to do some pretty cool things and it's yeah. a great job. Yeah, definitely. Oh, man, that's so cool. Well, uh, maybe at the end of this episode, we'll give you a chance uh, to tell people how to find you on social media. They can go be uh, jealous as well. But uh, <laughs> if nothing else, maybe at least bring you some uh, business for uh, your uh, deer tracking job, which I do want to yeah, talk about. Right. And But I don't want to get carried away with, with the deer tracking because I want to, as long as uh, you, you've 
you uh, don't end this uh, interview and say, wow, I never want to talk to those, those uh, <laughs> goof, goofballs <laughs> ever again. Uh, but, but I do want to, to, to bring you back on for just a deer tracking uh, episode. But um, I think that's, that's uh, really cool that you do that as well. How did you uh, kind of get, get started into that? Have you ever hunted out west, or maybe thought about going on your first western hunt? Either way, you need to complete applications, navigate every state's processes, and actually end up getting a tag to go and complete your hunt. East to West Hunts with Alex Gruen is your one-stop shop to get the information you need to get the tags you desire to hunt the species of your choice where you want to hunt them. Alex scaffolds his services by offering simple deadline reminders and consultations for DIY hunters all the way up to the deeply involved premium plans that complete all applications and hunt plans for you. He will even send you waypoints on where to camp, hunt, and more if you have his hunt planning services. Memberships for the DIY hunter are as low as $8 a month if you are just getting started, or if you are interested in getting more information, go over to www.alexgruen.com and check out the offerings, or you can give Alex a shout via phone at 720-248-7181. And when you get there, be sure you use the code FIRSTGEN10 on the website, or reference this podcast when you give him a ring on the phone. If you do, you will receive a 10% discount on any service of your choice. Remember, that's www.alexgruin.com and mention the promo code FIRSTGEN10, all one word, F-I-R-S-T-G-E-N, the number 10, and receive 10% off any of Alex's services. Oh boy. Um, well, as most archery hunters do, I made a less than ideal shot that has been, I don't know, eight years ago, probably now. Hmm. Um, hit, hit, a, hit a, would have actually been my first buck. I think that's the other thing we should probably mention is that while I've been hunting for 20 some seasons now, it took me about 12 years before I finally harvested a buck. Wow. Um, Just just like never came. And this was like my first opportunity. It was a really nice buck. Um, I just moved to Maryland. Crossbows had just become legal. I was living in town at the time. So that was kind of my option was to shoot a crossbow. I didn't really have the room to practice with a compound. Sure. And somehow Mm -hmm. I hit him a little further back than I would have liked to have right in the Mm -hmm. liver. Um, yeah, um, and he went into this tangle of multiflora rose Ugh. that was hands mm. and knees, like put your hand out in front of your, as far as you can reach, can't even see your hand, kind of thick. Um, we were unable to find him that day. 
I wanted to bring a dog in. There was no dogs available at that time in the region. There was, just, there was only one guy at that point in time who was tracking. He wasn't available that day. Um, mm. It took three years before I finally found that year. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. And he was about 20 yards from where we left off. Oh, oh man. One of those stumbled across him um, kind of things. And it was, I mean, it was oh. definitely the same deer. It was a very wide six pointer, like sure so that you don't see very often. And I decided yeah. that, and that day that I wasn't going to have that happen again. Hmm. That's how I got into, into dogs. Um, wow. I'm on my, on my second dog right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we train, train hard, track a lot. Um, yeah. I think we do about 50 tracks a year. Wow. Yeah, we stay pretty busy. Wow. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of running around and. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I can, so. I mean, I can, I, I mean, I can, I can say from experience, you know, my buddy had shot a, a real nice deer, you know, over, you know, and just actually not too far from where little works actually. And is where mm-hmm. our property's at. And she is, you know, she's all over the place. And I had, you know, I just kind of reached out via Facebook, you know, just kind of, Hey, does anyone have any recommendations? And, you know, someone pointed me to, to Laura and she was very gracious to travel, you know, from where she was at, you know, it was, it was a long way. She came over, was very kind and very sweet. And, you know, and then I, I think, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, I, I, we think that, that, that particular hit, you know, was, was a non-fatal hit and, you know, just did, we did not find that deer. But then I, I think the very, either later that same day or the next day she was, you know, finding a deer for someone else had located a deer and, you know, so just cool to, you know, to, you know, see the highs and the lows and man, to bring some people back from the brink of, man, I, I don't know if I got this deer to, oh my goodness, we found the deer. I mean, that's just, that is such a cool thing to be able to do. So, I mean, you can just see the emotion, feel the emotion, you know, of what, you know, she's able to help people enjoy. So, I mean, so was I just still very much appreciated her taking the time and, you know, so it's, I mean, it's a blessing to have those services out there, you know, we've, we've all been there. Just like Laura said, you know, you make that shot. It's a little further back. The deer moves. There's so many variables, yeah. even with high end equipment, you know, yeah. that something happens and man, I mean, it's really cool to be able to have people that you can trust that'll come and, and give it a bet, give it their best shot. And you know what, maybe they can turn the tide and turn a, turn an ultimate low into an ultimate high. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we get to do that. Um, unfortunately, it's a probably about one in three times that we get that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, about I yep. would say about half the deer we track are still alive. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The reality. Um, unfortunately, this season I drew some short straws and they seem to be a little bit higher. Um, mm. I've got proof of life confirmation on just over half the deer we tracked this season. Okay. So, Okay. Yeah, which proof of life is fun down the road. <laughs> but yeah, the right. Was like, yeah. you don't know. So, yeah. Um, just, that's just the reality of tracking deer. Um, we track yeah. what we can. And, and the other reality is that first two weeks of November, we just, you know, I can't, I, if, I can, if I can even get to 10% of the people that call, I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, you're probably, sure. you're probably getting hit nonstop, I'm sure. Yeah, I, the most calls I ever had in a 48-hour period was, I'd like to say it was 42 calls. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we got to eight. 
know, wow. Okay. Really, yeah. I mean, the national average, again, you know, half of your, you're tracking are still alive. The other half yeah. of those year that are not still alive, property lines, um, particularly where I am, swamps, things yeah. like that really prevent a certain amount of recoveries. And then, you know, that mm-hmm. one in three that you find is what you have left over. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, wow. I, I have no room to lecture anybody on this at all, because uh, <laughs> if you go back to episode 26, <laughs> you can find out how... Uh, <laughs> Uh, that went down for me this this uh, <laughs> season. And uh, for the record, just so everybody knows, uh, this weekend was a big shed hunting weekend for me. And uh, yeah. I went and I went looking for that buck, see if I could find his uh, deadhead if he ended up dying. And um, mm-hmm. no deadhead. I think he lives. I kind of I kind of think that maybe the shot that I had on him was. Uh, just really low and just clipped mm-hmm. the bottom of the one lung, uh, the near side lung. And, uh, I think, uh, I think he, uh, probably, probably made it. I haven't heard of anyone else. Yeah. Find him. So one lung hit, one lung hit deer are really interesting from my experience with a deer that's been hit with one lung. We're either going to find it at about the 400 yard mark or we're not finding it. Hmm. Well then, I'm gonna say that, he he's still alive because <laughs> I watched there him. There you go. Yeah. I watched him uh, clear out 400 yards after I uh, found him for the second time after uh, uh, 30 yeah. hours after impact. He uh, hopped right up and oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> he he cleared. No, one, one, long, one long hit deer are definitely um, a good majority of the calls that we receive. Mm, sure. Mm-hmm. I would not say they're a good majority of the calls we take, but they're definitely a good majority of the calls we receive. If I have the yeah. choice, I'm going to take gut shot any day. Right. Um, yeah. Hit here, but right. yeah, that's, we get a lot of them. Or the other thing is they're not, in fact, even one lung, they were actually hit high or too low and they were just muscle. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For well, sure. Kent, I mean, this is, this is, this is going to be your, one of your target bucks next year, man. That's right. I mean, yeah. this is going to be the legend. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't, I still don't know what happened to the other end of that arrow. He broke off the one half and I've kind of been keeping somewhat of an eye out. Of course, you know, could be anywhere, but, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he, I think probably, I think he lived on. So, you know, yeah. but, but yeah, what I was going to say was I heard a great point about this exact thing that Laura's talking about here. Um, uh, just on another podcast over the, uh, the weekend while I was driving and the guy talking said, um, he had a bad shot on a deer and mm. he, he was, you know, trying to be super careful because this was his number one target buck. He had all kinds of history with this deer. He had sheds off him. He had all kinds of trail camera pictures. Knew he had him pinned down, got special permission to hunt him on this property and uh, uh, had his opportunity. And uh, he was worried about um, messing things up for the future, but not enough to where he like kept himself from taking a low probability shot Mm. and by taking that low probability shot he knew when he hit the deer uh that he hit him in a non-vital spot but 
you know, to be a good sportsman, be a good hunter, ethical hunter, you need to follow that blood and just, to, you know, make sure that, that, uh, you know, it, it is what you, you know, what yeah. you thought you saw. And, uh, he said by doing so what he had intended to baby and save until the best times of the deer season, uh, to hunt this deer, you know, so in other words, just trying to stay out on the, we, we talked about this clear back, you know, going into deer season where you, you know, our buddy, Noel Gandy talked about it in episode 13, uh, during an yep. early season, you're trying to baby your best spots. You're trying to hunt from the outside yeah. in. And uh, yep. so he's trying to do that. Well, now, because he's got a blood trail, this deer that he knows in his heart is not dead. He's, yeah. he's, <laughs> he's, uh, uh, ruining it for and you know what it wasn't even his target buck it was his second buck but he just it was too good of a uh, it was too good of an opportunity he thought and he just made a bad shot because it was a low you know low odd shot and uh now he had to traipse all over that farm and uh leave scent everywhere put additional pressure down you know in all the hidey holes all the sanctuary areas wherever that blood went and uh you know it's a good reminder of when our when our uh, <laughs> eyes get bigger than our skills, uh, we, yeah. need, we, you know, we need to really calculate what what all the ramifications are of taking that bad shot. And one of those things yeah. is, you know, you're getting somebody out there on a blood track that, you know, Laura would probably rather be in a deer stand herself some of the time when she's <laughs> when she's following a, following around a, a dog, uh, looking for a yeah. deer that's still alive. You know, so obviously, yeah. you know, you. I do think that there's some truth to the old uh, Michael Jordan statement, but in great care and uh, in uh, <laughs> in uh, only the best circumstances. That is, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. So sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. you you mm-hmm. do have to maybe uh, push it a little bit to to uh, you're not always going to get that textbook, you know, broadside or quartering away you know, at 10 yards kind of shot that, um, <laughs> that we all want. But at the same yeah. time, you know, you don't, don't do something that's going to, you know, put you in a bad situation either. So it's a fine yeah. line. Right. And that's why we have dog trackers. <laughs> yeah. 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 And dog well, trackers are becoming much more plentiful now than they were, even were five years ago. So that's yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's cool too. I mean, just, you know, even talking, you know, I know Laura, you're part of, you know, this first time hunter program and I'm sure mm-hmm. shot placement and, and all of that type of stuff, you know, is, is huge on, in, in something like yeah. that. Can you talk a little bit about how you're involved with that? Yeah. Um, you know, as far as like the new hunter program, of course, things have changed a little bit this year because we have to do everything virtually. Yeah. Um, yeah, but right. in the past, I've usually brought a dog and kind of talked about shot placement. We really obviously push for that, you know, that double lung shot is yeah. what we strive for. Sure. Um, you know, I'm even myself, I am not a fan of aiming for the heart. It's just too, you know, if it goes well, it goes well. Um, but it doesn't leave a lot of margins for error sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really archery equipment, you know, that's where your heavy bones are. Um, so we definitely push for that a lot. And what I find is that new hunters, particularly new adult hunters, tend to be extremely conscientious before they pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, 
probably should also mention that a lot of these programs tend to be um, more, there tend to be more women involved um, in a lot of these new hunter programs. Um, okay. The highest 50% of our participants can be women on in some years, and they are super conscientious about not wanting to wound an animal. Um, mm, yeah. You know, and the, I think we've, I think we've done, I'm trying to think, three deer hunts now. Um, this is the first year I've even, you know, I've had a dog on site every year. First year I even got the dog out of the truck was this year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, um, just the new hunters and we've had, you know, we've had years where our success rates are extremely high. Um, our first yeah. year, I think we harvested 19 animals with 26 hunters. Oh, wow. So that's that's great. Wow. Day hunt. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the kind of numbers we're looking at. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty, you know, the opportunities are there. Um, and when yeah. we get to that, I can talk about that a little bit more. So, well, I mean, it's really cool that, you know, you're referencing, you know, a lot of women being involved mm-hmm. in it, which is awesome. And, and that's an interesting component that you mentioned how women might be like, whereas guys may be a little bit more prone to, Oh, I'm going to take that shot. Women are more like, "Mm, you know what? I'm going to be more cautious. That's, that's not really something I've really thought about before. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. The women go into this absolutely terrified of wounding an animal. Like that's their Mm. worst nightmare. They're going to with harvesting an animal. That's great. But the thought of leaving one injured out there is just enough to, you know, they, they stress about it. Um, yeah. I tell you on the tracking aside, I don't know if I've ever tracked a deer for a woman. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Not, <laughs> but you know, and I'm doing, you know, I'm doing 50 tracks a year. This is my fifth season. You know, I don't think that I can't remember one. Yeah. Huh. Well, I mean, I guess this is fitting. Cause I think this is, I think this is national Women's month or, or something. I, I think, <laughs> Uh, if I'm, yes, if I'm, if, if I'm getting this correct, I, I hope I am. Um, you know, so it's pretty cool that, you know, not only are we talking to you, Laura, who is, is like, mm-hmm. man, you know, the ultimate outdoors woman. Um, but you know, <laughs> cool to hear that other women are getting involved with this program. What would you say? I'm just curious, like, what would you say is like the biggest factor in trying to encourage women to get involved in the program? Is it, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's helpful having someone like you, you know, assisting in it and whatnot, but what would you say has been the biggest thing with kind of seeing women, you know, join and, and want to participate? Um, yeah, a, a lot of, it's really interesting. I feel like new hunters in general, the biggest thing that we're seeing that just driving it is food. Um, they want mm. to know where their food coming from. They yeah. want to get, you know, local free range, not farm, you know, factory farmed food. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say that is generally the biggest thing that's driving the participants we see. Of course, we're also not seeing the full subset because we are targeting hunters in particular that have no other opportunity to go out hunting. Um, right. You know, a woman that might, you know, meet that, meet a guy who hunts and is curious about it. She's going to start hunting with him. Um, we get a lot of like the my mentee from this past fall, who I'm going to have again for the turkey hunt. Um, yeah, she for some reason really wants to kill a turkey. Like turkey <laughs> okay, hunting, I, I, and I don't even know where this comes from. Um, she's in her mid fifties, and just all of a sudden woke up one day and just wants to kill a turkey. <laughs> That's kind of how she came <laughs> to our program. <laughs> yeah, 
That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, the stories are definitely interesting how they all get there. And, you know, we're really fortunate. We actually have a very solid core group of female mentors, which really nice. helps a lot. I'm one yeah. of like six female mentors we have. Um, the other interesting thing is we're pretty much all natural resource professionals. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so, that's really cool. That is so neat. Wow. Hunters, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty awesome group of, of women I get to mentor with. So. Yeah, that's, um, wow. that is so cool. a bunch of men. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about it many times, you know, and obviously what first gen hunter is all about is, you know, getting people into, into hunting. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, it's cool that you have a you know firsthand experience with that and, and really neat to hear, you know, about these things because, you know, we all hear the reports of, you know, less and less hunters. And then we've, you know, we've kind of talked right. about how that's been on the increase a little bit with COVID and people having time. And, you know, like you mm -hmm. actually mentioned wanting to have an opportunity to, you know, man, couldn't find meat for the, there for a while at the, at the supermarket, yeah. man, I would love to be able to go out and get my own meat and healthy meat at that. So, I mean, it's, it's cool that you've been able to personally reflect on encouraging people to, to get out there and get into it. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's a, I, I absolutely love mentoring. It's become probably one of my favorite things I do every year. So Yeah, sure. Very so, cool. So so one more time here before we, you know, kind of shift the focus here and head on into Seekadir okay. a little bit. This program is called <laughs> First Shot, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's called First Shot. Um, it is a partnership with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the Maryland Department of Natural Resources, and the National Wild Turkey Federation, Union Sportsman Alliance, and then a few others like Backcountry Hunters and Anglers has helped out, and a few other small groups like that. Um, it is a Maryland program, obviously. It is hosted at Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge. Okay. So it is a sick of deer hunt. Oh, um, so the deer okay. hunt. The turkey hunt. The turkey hunt is also hosted there. Um, Obviously, we don't have invasive turkeys there yet. Give it time. Mm -hmm. It seems to attract all the invasives to Blackwater. Oh, um, man. Yeah. So, that's, so it's a really cool hunt. Um, it is for new adult hunters. Um, okay. The first hunt, I actually was not involved with the first rendition, which was a turkey hunt back, I think this is the fourth year now for turkeys. Okay. Um, the first, very first go-round, they did do kids. Um kids create a little bit of logistic issues um yeah taking minors yeah. out right to have adults with them yeah um and it kind of was decided that you know focusing your efforts and energy towards recruiting adults is better money spent particularly women because if you can recruit a woman and she gets into hunting she's going to go home <sighs> and she has a family guess what now the whole family's going to hunt yep nice so, yeah there you go that's a good point Versus, you know, a, a man, you know, just because he hunts, you know, the kids have got soccer, the kids have got ballet, like, mm -hmm. so they may or may not, um, you know, get as much bang for your buck there. So women are really the kind of the target audience. Like I said, we've had years we've had up to 60% um, women participating. Um, yeah. It varies, obviously, year to year, just based on our applicant pool. Can't change it. Um, the other interesting thing is we get a lot of minority participation. Mm, um, a lot of first great. generation Americans that yeah. come and they want to go hunting. It's a, I've met some fantastic people of uh, from all walks of life through this. So. Uh, that is that, that is, is really so cool. cool. Yeah, what a <laughs> what a fantastic uh, you know I guess you'd call program. 
Um, that's that's uh, <laughs> yeah. available there for new hunters. And if you're listening to this and you are from that area, uh, make sure you, you know, if you're still trying to get hunting figured out or whatever, uh, look it up. Try and uh, get in touch there yeah. and, and uh, get the get the help you need. And sometimes, you know, even with stuff like that, it may not, you may not have the availability or whatever to actually go on the hunt, but I'm sure you could still call these people and get some really helpful tips and, you know, maybe yep. uh, tell them what your specific hunting situation is and they might be able to point you in the right direction to somebody mm-hmm. who can match what your, your needs are. So yeah, be sure Maryland you reach out. Maryland actually has a separate mentor program as well um, where they have mentors just like that. And on the part looking for somebody in your little corner of the state, um, that's just starting to take off. Um, I will also mention that a bunch of other states are getting ready to have either just started programs that are similar or getting ready to COVID kind of delayed a bunch. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. New Jersey's got a program, um, that's similar. Um, you'll see a lot of them are going to be held in conjunction with the national wildlife refuges. Um, Protection Research Refuge um, over near Baltimore just had their first mentored hunt this fall. Um, so they're, cool. they're, they're starting to crop up kind of everywhere. Yeah. Very nice. That's yeah, awesome. That's that's, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. Well, you now you guys, uh, if you're if you're listening, you know where to look. Look up uh, Laura. Maybe she'll yep. even uh, maybe she'll even <laughs> if you uh, go to like buy you know some honey or something, she'll teach you how to trap or you know something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Two for one. That's right. That's right. Paying it forward. Well, we've been yeah. ta- we've been talking all around it. This is how uh, I uh, came to hear of Laura in the first place, and that is the uh, pipe dream of mine to head out to the East Coast and uh, you know lickety split, hop in that marsh, shoot the state record Sika. Is it is it a stag? Is is that is that what they call it? A stag for Sika? Or yeah. is it okay? Okay. The males are called stags and the females are called hinds. Okay. Stag and okay. hinds. That's good to know. So, okay. yeah. So I have this, you know, dream. I'm going to, I'm going to, with the help of Alex's uh, advice on how to fly with, uh, you know, hunting equipment, you know, I'm going to fly out <laughs> yeah. to, uh, fly out to Maryland or Delaware and want no issues there getting checked in. Uh, and, uh, you know, Brandon will come pick me up, we'll walk over, yes, sir. pull up to the marsh and, uh, you know, there you go. I'm wrapping my tag. There you go. It's easy as that. <laughs> okay. Maybe there's, maybe there's, uh, some more to it. And so, uh, <laughs> there, there is, there is, uh, as, as always so much more, I don't know than what I do know. And, uh, that's why, that's why Laura's here. So I think really the, the first place to start here, Laura, is just, you know, kind of like what my question was. Is it a stag? Is it a buck? Is it a bull? Uh, <laughs> what's the biology here? You know, what the, the you know, that, of course, would be terminology. But what is a Sika deer exactly? You know, the, I, I know just a little bit. I know that, you know, they, they do like to live around marshy areas. I know they are non-natives here in in the uh, United mm-hmm. States. They're, I believe, from Southeast Asia. And, uh, yeah, Japan. Um, Okay. Yep. So Japan. And, uh, I know that they're, you know, a little bit smaller than white tailed deer, maybe even significantly <laughs> <lot> smaller. smaller. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so see, see, I, I need to learn, need to be educated here. So, uh, uh, can you just kind of start us off here for, um, 
maybe describing physically what these deer are like? Okay. All right. I will try to stumble my way through this. I am not a biologist. So let's get <laughs> no that problem. off the table. Um, so the deer, um, they originated in, or at least this subspecies that we have here came from an island in Japan. Okay. Um, they were brought here uh, by, you know, game farm, high fence operation, I believe that was on James Island in the Chesapeake Bay. James Island is now underwater. Um, but the deer have stayed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, they are significantly smaller than a white-tailed deer with a big mature stag tipping the scales at about a hundred pounds. Wow. Um, yeah. Is that it, dressed or is we, that, is that still, uh, you know, fully intact? That's dressed. That's okay. dressed. Okay. Yeah, that's dressed. Um, and that, and now I'm talking a big mature stag. Um, yeah. Typically they're obviously, you know, quite a bit smaller. The one I harvested this fall was a whopping 52 pounds. Um, wow. <laughs> so they are, they are little deer. Um, they live primarily in the region around Blackwater Refuge. So kind of the Phragmite Swamp in that part of, of Dorchester County. Um, there yeah. are a few found on the eastern shore of Virginia and a very few found in Delaware. I would not mm-hmm. recommend Delaware as being my first spot to hunt Sika. I believe the total Good harvest tip. is around four, five a year. Whoa. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, by a few folks that really have them patterned really, really well. Um, although most of those do come off public property. Wow. Well, um, okay. But they're, that, is, that is not where I would start. Um, the two main populations that are accessible to someone coming in from out of state are usually going to be Assateague Island, Assateague, Sinkteague, so right on the Maryland, Virginia state line, um, or again, Blackwater, um, National Wildlife Refuge and the surrounding state land are kind of the two places to really hunt them. Um, they are much more vocal than a white-tailed deer. Sure. They make all kinds of crazy noises. I am not going to try to demonstrate this for you. (laughs) (laughs) I will blow up speakers on your phone. Um, But they they essentially, the the stags essentially bugle very similar to an elk. Wow. Um, It's a little different. And then the the hinds make a lot of chirps and mewings and noises like that. It can actually sound a lot like birds. You know, I recommend if you're interested in learning more about that, YouTube is a great source of yeah thick of sound wow um, yeah they're very vocal um they also rut around mid-october kind of when their rut starts oh, so they okay. rut cool earlier than the white tail they're you know their rut's pretty much wrapped up by the time the white tail's really getting going sure um they're longer lived than the white tail deer um and I, uh. I don't i don't know the exact numbers i know some of the tag and collar studies had several animals that lived well into their 20s wow um, that would be unheard of for a white tail um, yeah wow that's high. crazy they also take longer to mature and have fewer offspring than a white tail deer hmm. unless you have existed in an unconscious stupor or on a different planet for the past year, you have probably suffered from the COVID-influenced supply chain disruptions. 
toilet paper, ammunition, hunting equipment, and fishing lures suddenly became scarce for those who needed them the most. And that's how Steel Custom Baits was born. Founder and avid tournament bass angler Matt Steele noticed the need and began pouring plastic baits for himself and eventually started selling thousands of his custom-made baits to folks around the U.S. Steel Custom Baits is currently pouring 5-inch stick baits, the Terry Scroggins designed 3-and-a-quarter-inch Big Show Punch Bugs, 10-inch Worms, 4-and-a-quarter-inch Rocket Craws, and their inventory will be growing in the very near future. All baits are sold in packs larger than what you will find in most stores, with packs coming in quantities of eight or more. If you don't find the exact color scheme you are looking for, send Steel Customs a message and share with them the idea that you have in mind, and they can make your color come to life in your own personalized bait. Bass season is heating up, and Matt has already won one tournament and taken home the bronze and another, all while exclusively using his own custom baits. To load your own tackle box up with some Steel Custom Baits, go to their Facebook page, Steel Custom Baits, that's S-T-E-E-L-E, Custom Baits, and send them a direct message there or on their Instagram page, which can be found at Steel's fishing steels fishing is offering a discount for first gen hunter podcast listeners all you have to do is mention that you are a listener of this podcast and you will receive 10 percent off your first purchase so get yourself over to steel custom baits and fish the colors you truly want fish confident That's really interesting. Um, the longevity, 20 some years now, you know, I've heard, I've heard, you know, these crazy things. Somebody will go and age like a, like a, you know, some matriarch doe on a farm that, uh, mm-hmm. people have been seeing forever or whatever. And they'll be like, wow, this doe was, you know, 20 years old or whatever. And so, you know, I know, I know, like like you're saying that that the seeker are living a lot longer than the average whitetail mm-hmm. and uh do you think some of that well, i'm sure some of it but do you think a lot of that is just because there's not as many people hunting them and so you know a lot of these deer and also they probably are you know further away from like roadside incidents where they're getting hit by drivers and and stuff like that or mm-hmm. do you think it's just truly like i mean that's part of their you know <laughs> that's part of their their health and and livelihood for surviving that they end up living so long yeah i would say the latter um they are actually extremely heavily pressured animals when it comes to oh, hunting really um mm. yeah <laughs> yeah it's um well, it's a destination species and not one subspecies of Sika. Basically, this region is the only place in the world you can hunt them. Huh. Wow. That's really interesting. So, it's kind of, yeah. So, there's a lot of folks that come to Maryland, mostly Maryland. I'm just going to use Maryland because of really the opportunities are so limited in Delaware and Virginia. It's There's a lot of folks that come here to hunt Sika deer. Hmm. Wow. So, they are. So, the, the herds are really pressured 
extremely pressured, um, particularly on some of the public um, properties can get extremely pressured at times. Well, now, really? Laura, do they, do they, are they, they travel in more like they're, they're very herd like, is that correct? You, you know, I'm the wrong person to ask this to. Um, I have heard that they can herd up, but yeah. I think that's often more in relation to, um, in Maryland, it's legal debate here. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. It's, uh, absolutely. Corn is like candy to them. <laughs> yeah. Corn on private, and you can only bait on private land, obviously, not on public. Okay. Um, so you will yeah. see incredible herds of deer on on feeders, which is a picture. You know, you can go on Facebook and find a hundred of those at any given time. Wow. Um, I have never experienced a herd of sicka that was any different than a, a small herd. You know, fam. I would describe it more as a family group. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Like I said, I've I've heard stags during the rut will have small harems of, of hinds. Again, it's nothing I've ever witnessed. Um, yeah, and again, I'm also not a biologist, so I, I really can't. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Interesting though that I mean, that's they, they does it does it seem to drive them deeper into the marsh? Like, what's what's their typical food sources? You know, beyond like you know, obviously the corn and whatnot. Is it pretty similar to whitetail side of things, or do they have a different you know different food sources within the marsh? What does it look like for them? Um, they are probably one of the only species that can subsist on Phragmites grass. Um. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, do they know? Um, but they, they do eat a lot of grass. Um, I like hunting them over oaks. If you can find acorns, uh, you know, that's kind of my yeah. go-to. Just like a white tail. Um, you know, everything loves acorns. Um, yeah. so, you know, they're a little bit more versatile in their diet and that's what's allowed them to thrive in the marsh. Well, white, Tails are kind of occasional visitors to the marsh. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. White-tailed deer, he'll, he'll use the marsh as bedding cover. Yes. They don't, I mean, there's sick of deer that have never left the marsh. Mm, wow. They don't have to. Um, it's just a different, you know, they're different. Um, sick also seem to be much more tolerant of having your feet constantly wet. <laughs> well, a white tail yeah. definitely likes to dry out every once in a while. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> So I assume when they're bedding and stuff, they're finding, you know, clumps of clumps of grass or something like that, that they can, I assume they're not bedding in wet, you know, wet beds, are they? Um, I'm, again, I've never seen where they do a lot of the ground that they exist in is tidal. So oh, okay. it yeah. might've been dry three hours ago, but it's wet sure. now. Um, you know, they definitely tend, I would say they probably tend to bed in drier ground. Of course, there's always little clumps of, of grass or out in the marsh and just little higher points to be found out there. And, you know, yeah. little islands like that all over the place. So hmm. I would assume that's where they bed. But again, I'm not 100% sure. Like I said, every pretty much most of the habitat that they live in is tidal. Yeah. Sure. Now, Laura, is, is it, it, are they scored? Do you know if are they scored similarly to like a whitetail in terms of like inches of antler and things of that nature? Or are they, is a, you know, is a trophy stag, you know, considered on a kind of a different level 
than antler score or how does how does that side of things typically look now they do score them um inches of antler um you don't hear people talking about it as much as you do yeah. white tail um, yeah you know because you're 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 really big trophy it's really not that big when you start talking <laughs> about antler right um, sure so kind of like the, the, the antler structure of them is you get spikes and you get spikes that range from you know inch to inch spikes all the way up to foot long spikes um, yeah those bigger spikes are not your and a half old animal um you get forks and you get three points to the side for a six point very very rarely do you see a seven point and even mm. rarer you see an eight point okay wow I've okay i've never heard of one bigger than that not in this herd here so did do the, do antler points kind of coincide with age? You know, people a lot of times make that that I guess it would be a misconception that a lot of people, you know, who don't know a lot about whitetails, uh, think that oh, that you know, and and to some extent it is true. You know, like you don't have a, you're not typically going to find a you know five year old forky, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, if a if a, you could have a two year old throwing a you know, eight point rack or something like that, you know, for a whitetail. Is that, does it truly go that way though with, with Sika where they have, uh, you know, an eight point stag, that's, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a four-year-old stag or is, does it not really coincide? Um, I don't really know how to answer that. You know, it's, some stags just were never going to be more than spikes. Right. I mean, they can have foot-long spikes. Um, sure. I would tend to say it does coincide to an extent that obviously, an, you know, more points is probably an older animal. Right, um, yeah. It's not like, you know, the differences between a white tail and a sicka is that the vast majority of sicka is never going to be more than a six-pointer. Yeah, um, right. White tail, there's so many so many more options as right. far as how big they can mature to be. Um, you know, there are some folks that are really pushing to get these stags age um, by, you know, actually sending a tooth out to age them. That's the most accurate way. They're extremely difficult to age compared to whitetails by looking at jaws. Okay. You know, you can't, yeah, is my understanding. Again, I, I've, you know, I am not a biologist. So I don't really know how yeah, to work, but sure. my understanding is that jaw aging them is way more difficult than a white-tailed deer. And again, that goes back to the longevity huh. of them. Yeah. So white-tailed, you know, white-tailed buck, his life expectancy is really not that long. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, you're right there. Yeah. That's really interesting. There's, there's so many, uh, little misconceptions and things I've had here. That's what always happens with this. I start talking to somebody that I know very little about and <laughs> think I know more than what I do. And <laughs> Hey, I'm not too proud to admit it. I'll, I'll admit. No, that's good. Yeah. I have no, I have no idea what I'm, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, so with you know brandon's gonna roll his eyes here because he hears me ask about this all the time but um i'm a little bit obsessed with shed hunting and uh you know i'm looking at these uh stags and uh you know i'm hearing ooh eight point ooh foot long spike ooh Do, does anybody go <laughs> shed hunting for sika sheds 
I assume yeah, they shed. People do, people do shed hunt for them. Um, they're a little harder to find. First of all, a significant amount of the population lives at Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge where you cannot shed hunt for them. Oh, okay. Um, ah, okay. So, and then the other thing is they um, hold their antlers a little later. They okay. actually don't drop their antlers until like the next set starts growing. Right about oh. the time it starts up. <laughs> I have <Wow>. found one. <laughs> oh, that's cool though. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it, I mean, do most of them just end property. up? Do most of the sheds end up in water as well? I would assume that's why you don't find a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Huh. But so, so public land, pretty tough, and and especially that one preserve that you were talking about. What's that called again? Blackwater. Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge. Okay. Blackwater National Wildlife uh, Refuge. Yeah, they're a little more restrictive. Like I said, they don't allow things like shed hunting. Um, it is a separate permit to hunt there. But there is a significant amount of state-owned land that is open for shed hunting and have not, you know, in the area that also holds good populations of sick of deer. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, and I assume that a lot of that has to do with like you mentioned, these deer are already so pressured during hunting season. They're probably just mm-hmm. trying to let them, you know, let them be during uh, this, during the off season, I would assume. Yeah. Actually, that's a, that's a national policy for the National um, Wildlife Refuge system, I believe. Is no oh, okay. Hunting. Okay. Uh, wow. Okay. Know. Interesting. Yeah, this is really interesting. Good thing I haven't, uh, you know, like inadvertently broken that law. So yeah, good to know. You may have saved me a ticket there. Yeah, they're really interesting sometimes what they allow and don't allow, but they generally are pretty restrictive when it comes to any sort of consumptive use. So basically anything that involves taking. Yeah. So, you know, shit hunting, hunting, anything along those lines. Um, there is a big push to open them all up or most, or any that are practical to hunting. So you'll see, you know, more in recent years have started to allow at least hunting. Sure. Sure. That's all. That's all excellent information there. Well, yeah, I finally arrived. I was going to go to Delaware, but then I found out that only four, uh, four Sika (laughs) get killed in Delaware every year. And I didn't, I didn't like my odds at making it five. So I, <laughs> I, uh, I decided to go to, uh, the other, the other uh, side of the border and go up to, uh, Maryland. And, uh, you know, now that it's time to hunt, what is this hunting strategy look like? So, uh, first of all, you kind of start talking about this a little bit with, with getting uh, tags or permits to hunt these things. Do, does, does a deer tag, is it kind of like, you know how there's states uh, kind of out in my neck of the woods where you can hunt uh, <laughs> whitetails and mule deer in the same state, like, like South Dakota, for instance, yeah. or uh, Nebraska. And um, for both those states, I believe when you get a deer tag, it is valid. They just call it a general deer tag. You know, it's valid for either a whitetail or a mule deer. Is that the same deal out 
in Maryland, Delaware, Virginia. Yeah. So it, when you get a deer tag, it's like this means that you can shoot either one whitetail buck or one Sika stag. Okay. Let me start with Maryland hunting licenses. We give out deer tags like for candy here. Um, okay. So <laughs> Definitely going to Maryland. We don't have a deer tag. You buy a hunting license and it entitles you to kill two bucks and like 10 does per weapon. Like two bucks totaled in the whole season and then like 10 does per weapon season. Wow. In addition to that, you're entitled to kill one Sika stag and two Sika hind per weapon season. Wow. Wow. In Holy addition, cow. Huh? Yeah. Like I said, we give them out like candy here. Now, on top of that, you can purchase a, if you're going to hunt at Blackwater Refuge, you have to have a permit through them. That entitles you to the same thing in addition to your Maryland bag limit. So anything for the Blackwater does not count towards the state limit. Wow. That's my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So we give out tags here. So it's not an either or you get both over the counter Uh, when you buy. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm feeling, I'm sensing Kent's excitement. I'm going through the roof now. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And uh, I want to know, Brandon, what's the, uh, what's the uh, retroactive FOMO meter reading right now here? Uh, Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty high right now. now. (laughs) Man, 30 years, Brandon, you could have been taking advantage of this. I know, man. I tell you, I know. I got, I got, Hey, like you said earlier, we, we have all got a lot of learning to do, so it's good. (laughs) Oh man. No, you're right. I am just like, Hmm, what's, what do I have going on in October now? Yeah. uh, (laughs) with, With all that, with all that in mind, uh, for like, based on the fact that you know if i end up going out there or anyone listening to this who's a non-resident ends up going out there and they have to hunt public ground what's the season Mm -hmm. to do that where you're going to have the least amount of competition september or january okay is that is that archery or or a firearm muzzleloader yep um our archery season's uh, open the Friday after Labor Day and runs through the end of January. Um, okay. Blackwater's a little bit different. There's starts, I believe, on the 15th of September, and they have a couple late firearm seasons the state does not have, so you'd have to look exactly what those are. Um, most people, you're not going to find a ton of competition in September. The reason is mosquitoes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Uh, that's that's a real thing yeah 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 i'll be decked out out in thermocells it's about 45 degrees you're gonna Um, sure yeah be in the rut right about when our muzzleloader season comes in right around the third week of october that's when the pressure really ramps up but it's also when the rut really ramps up okay so, so muzzleloader season gets hit pretty hard then, huh? Yeah. Now, uh, I, I would assume that since you're hunting in such a marshy area, that can mm-hmm. probably, you know, just all the humidity alone, let alone just have to be super careful <laughs> with your gear. Is it pretty tough on, mm-hmm. uh, keeping powder dry and stuff like that for muzzleloaders? Have you heard? 
Um, I personally have never had a problem. Um, I think a lot of modern equipment does a lot better than like side locks and flint locks and things like that. Sure. Of course, the more modern powders yeah. are more resilient. Um, you are going to get wet. Um, that's part of the fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, the humidity is high. The water is deep. Um, you know, hip boots are, I don't want to say requirement, but they're pretty much yeah. a requirement. There are yeah. some places yeah. you not need them. Um, but I don't know. I, I actually wear chest waders a lot, but I'm short. Yeah. Um, yeah that makes sense. <laughs> Well, how does that work too? Like in the sense of like, what's the best type of setup? Is it, you know, tree stand hunting, ambush, you know, spot and stalk, you know, and if you're tree stand hunting, you know, how does that, you know, you like got the, got the, the, the waders on different things. Like what's, what's, you know, what's, <laughs> what have you heard is the, is the best set? Yeah. You're pretty much on, on Blackwater Refuge. You're in that area. You're going to be looking at, I'm um, going elevated. The marsh yeah. is so thick. You can't see the spot and stock. Um, the right. stock hunting is Assateague Island. If you want to do that, oh, okay. go to Assateague. Yeah, so okay. I'm open there. You can actually see them. Um, it's a little bit different game. I've never hunted Assateague, so I don't know yeah. the ins and outs. Yeah. Um, but it's different. Blackwater is so many places that you can see 10 yards mm, wow. in front of you if you're not elevated. And when you are yeah. elevated, you can see 15. I mean, that's just how <laughs> it is. Um, wow. Yeah. So I highly recommend having some sort of mobile tree stand um, or yeah. tree saddle. I actually just made that switch to a tree saddle and does not look oh. bad. Um, okay. So you're loving it so far. Yeah. Well, it's, it weighs half as much. Um, it's, yeah. Again, I'm not too big. So any pounds I can cut, not have to carry through the woods. Um, yeah. You know, it's so far it's been a, a great switch <laughs> nice yeah I, I have some buddies who are you know real curious about that even our, our in our club that we run so i know they're you know they're excited about the, how mobile it is and how easy it is to just mm -hmm. move with gear and, and all of that so i'm it's cool that you're having a good experience so far yeah it certainly beats um a climber i was using an old lone wolf hand climber which was always an experience <laughs> <laughs> right I, I, I nearly killed myself in it twice this fall so uh, oh I man second near fall and a black and blued arm when i caught myself that i was gonna make a switch and i did yeah um, yeah <laughs> yeah. Man. yeah i just started doing the uh the hang on and sticks this year and yeah i, can't... I was looking at that too I can't imagine <laughs> that is such hard work. I can't imagine doing that in chest waders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. No kidding. Like, my work. I should mention like if I'm hiking in in chest waders or even hip boots, a lot of the times I will have either a pair of hiking boots or depending on the weather, maybe a pair of Crocs. <laughs> <laughs> there the you go. <laughs> I'm not in chest waders in October. I'm not going to do it. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's practical to switch out depending on where I'm hunting. Cause a lot of times I actually prefer, like I said, I like to hunt Oak. Um, and I will study aerial photos and find the three little Oak trees that are sitting out there. And that's where I'm going to go. Man. So usually the ground's dry around those, but to get there, you have to go through water. 
Now that's a, that's wow. that's a forester advantage right there. You can look at an aerial yeah. map and yes. determine the species of <laughs> <Yes>. tree. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. I think Brandon, we're going to be climbing trees and waders, man. We don't we won't be able to spot oak trees from uh from uh, Google Earth. I don't think. <laughs> hey, I'm up for an adventure. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking, you know, if we end up going down to see TJ at Kilmo this uh, yeah. this year, I'm going to have to pick up some waders for that anyway. So maybe I'll just there uh, you go. That's right. <laughs> I'll just <laughs> wear them. Set. I'll just wear them on the plane, so that way I don't have to, you know, check an extra bag. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man. Well, now, Laura, is it is it like is it similar in the sense of like when they're rutting? you know, you're seeing the scrapes, you're, you know, that type of stuff, or like, is it, is it different than the traditional whitetail rat? It's a little different. Um, Sika makes what they call wallows more like what an elk does. Oh, cool. Uh, okay. Yeah. So they wallow. You see a lot less rubs. Rubs don't seem to be quite as prevalent as they hmm. are with whitetail. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it's a little different in that aspect, but it's a lot more exciting because that's when the calling really that. Um, very cool tasting and they're much more aggressive than a white tail um they're very reactive to calls if you can call <laughs> yeah <laughs> might be something to start working on brandon yeah i know right I, uh, yeah I'm, I'm 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 gonna be youtubing it because i'm very i'm very curious about it practice makes perfect i yeah i don't call because i can't close a call Sure. So I just don't better not <laughs> sound like you right. Yeah. And, and and if you start hunting one time, you'll know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just making noise with the call. <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. Well, yeah, so you got I assume like the the wallowing stuff that can probably be a little bit tough to identify with with um you know, everything just being so wet all the time and, and that, but, but, um, when, you know, when you start looking for that stuff, are you able to set up real close to them? I, I know you mentioned visibility is, is tough in a lot of these marshes and, uh, but they are more aggressive. Are, you know, do you have to, do you have to be real careful on things like, you know, getting winded and stuff like that? Or can you get pretty tight into these, these animals? Oh God. Um, they are interesting in the sense that some days, like they, I feel like that they tend to smell and see better than a white tail. Wow. The moments where they just don't care. Um, sure. The, I don't know how to describe it. I don't personally like hunting on, directly on signs, but that's not how I hunt whitetails either. I'm okay, yeah. a mm. transition food person. That's just how I hunt. Um, yeah. You know, really fun about the marsh is the marsh is nothing but one giant transition zone. There's a lot <laughs> yeah, of places. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, no um, kidding. That's why like, but again, that's how I hunt whitetails too. Um, to me, setting up on a specific shrub or a wallow or anything like that, it's just not how I prefer to hunt. Could it be sure. effective? Um, the other thing you have to keep in mind, particularly in relation to scent, in the March is the thermals that you get with the heat mm. and cooling of the day. Um, oh, good point. More 
you get all this water that is holding a different temperature than the air. So you get a ton of thermals and, and thermal huh. shifts throughout the day. So you have to be much more mindful of that for sure. When it comes yeah, to that's spend. fascinating. Hmm. Yeah. And I trust me, I don't even begin to understand how that works. <laughs> but <it's- laughs> Right, right. Oh, it's very interesting. It just with that, that, you know, the, their heightened senses. I mean, is it, is it something that you feel like is, is bow hunting, especially with where you, you know, like the location where you're talking, not, not overly practical just because of how dense it is or, or is it possible? Oh, it's definitely possible. Um, okay. I have, I have yet to have been successful. Um, I, you know that they also seem to have this really innate ability when they get close to you that they will offer you nothing but a frontal shot hmm. um, ah. so you know and i'm super as we talked about earlier shot placement i am super super particular about shot placement yeah so i am not going to take a chance to shot particularly with a bow um yeah i've already got a few disadvantages in the fact that i don't have a lot of heavy draw weight or a long draw length so I've done, yeah. you know, business and, and most folks do. So I am not taking yeah. a chance on that. It's not, you know, perfect. Sure. Yeah, guys. sure. Now, because they're so much smaller, do you, do you think that you can get away with a marginal hit a little bit better on a Sika than you can on a whitetail? Or are they pretty tough no. like a whitetail? <laughs> <laughs> they get away too. So, huh? uh, we track the deer too. Um I hate tracking to do it. Uh, no, I would say that they are smaller, but they are also heavier bones. And mm-hmm. um, the stag, really a mature stag, actually has a bit of a mane on the back of his neck. So mm-hmm. it actually makes him look like he is bigger than he is. So, you know, there's a lot more hair up top than on a mm-hmm. white tail. Um, yeah. That, uh, they... I would say, I would say a white tail is easier to take down on a marginal hit than a sicka. Wow. That's interesting. Yep. That sounds like, yep. uh, if you're planning to hunt these things, you should probably do a little research on what's perfect shot placement on them. You know, just what's the, yeah. what's yeah. their, what's their anatomy, you know, where does that where does that shoulder bone, you know, shoulder blade lie? Where does, is there kind of that curve at the upper forelimb like there is on a whitetail that kind of creates that little pocket where you can get into the heart and lung area? You know, what's, uh, what exactly are you, uh, what are, what are you shooting at? Because, uh, based on what Laura said and from her experience, which is, you know, she, she tracks these things when they're, when they've, been hit marginally um yeah you uh you really need to do your homework it sounds like and brandon sounds like uh, if we're gonna we're gonna actually make make this hunting plan happen uh we better do the same so yeah so you're talking a smaller target something that uh, is easier to mess up yeah i better know what you're doing (laughs) so better better be practiced as well so that's that's uh that's it that's a really good tip well, yeah. we're we're kind of trending that way now, and, and this is kind of the last thing I want to talk about tonight with with Sika is uh, you have been successful, and I imagine you've probably had one or two successful uh, uh, tracking experiences as well um, with for other hunters. Mm-hmm. After the shot takes place, you know you made contact. 
I got to imagine that right away, uh, the, the tracking side of things becomes quite difficult because you're yeah. in water, you're in standing water. So yeah. what do you, from your years of tracking experience, what do you advise people to like, what kind of sign should, should somebody be looking for when they're trying to trail a, a Sika they've, they've hit? Um, well, I think the first thing that I actually always do, um, whenever I you know, take a shot at an animal is I actually get out both my compass and my rangefinder, and I get exact numbers to where that animal was standing and to where I last saw it. Um, mm-hmm. so then I can work tip. backwards. Then I can like go out and start stomping around and look for 180 degrees backwards and that distance back to where my tree stand was. Um, with sick of deer blood to be minimal to non-existent, and there's two reasons for that. One is oftentimes they are either in water or they are very quickly going to be back in water because that is where they go. Yeah. And the mm. other reason, is like a white tail deer, they actually have a quite thick woolly undercoat. Okay. That um, mm. kind of acts fun. So you don't get a lot of blood hitting the ground. Sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so what you're looking for, um, again, like I said, if you have really good known locations of where that animal was, that's a huge help. Um, so you're looking for disturbances and bubbles. So you're looking for like where an animal ran. Um, okay. Where the turned up or there's fresh bubbles in that water. The other thing you're often looking for is when they're mortally wounded, they tend to pay a little less attention to trails. You're looking for broken mm. frag grass and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, typically they just kind of, you know, even like a white tail, when they're hit good, they just kind of put their head down and run until they run out of steam. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bubbles are the biggest thing. If you're lucky you're going to have some blood. Um, I can tell you from my experience with the dog, when we have quote unquote good blood, those deer live to tell a tale because that is a breathing hit. Um, <sighs> you know, obviously a heart shot, sicka. I have never had, you know, never cracked one. Um, it's going to be a different story. But yeah, very right. minimal blood on the ground is pretty typical for them. <laughs> yeah. And those, you know, you know, wait long enough. Wait too long. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a that's a serious thing to keep in mind there for sure. If, yeah, uh, if you're wanting well, to hunt these things, you got to be prepared for that. A lot of this ground's tidal too, so where you had blood, you know, now you may not right. have it. Yeah, yeah. So was, I mean, in a situation like that, are you you're probably you know within reason trying to get after the the, the trail pretty quickly? Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, with a white tail, I have definitely like a amount of time. I advise somebody wait based on, you know, where you hit them. With a sicka, it's really more of a balancing act, you know, between recovering yeah. that animal, and not recovering that animal just because of other conditions. Um, you know, even, you know, we can't track with a dog at Blackwater. It's another thing that's not allowed. Um, but I do track plenty on private. And, okay. You know, yeah. And, Idle salt water is actually very destructive to scent as well. So it comes into play there also. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. make sure you got that perfect shot placement and really try to take notice of, of, uh, 
you know, what happens immediately following a shot, which it, it, that is so hard, people. <laughs> I'll be the yeah. first to admit, yeah. you know, when you're excited, you got the adrenaline going, a little buck fever. It's hard to, to keep track of that. And so sounds like, honestly, it would be a good thing to do with a buddy is to, if you're going to uh, hunt Sika, it'd be good to have somebody there to kind of help you keep tabs on everything. And, yeah. you know, maybe even film, you know, like I know Brandon does with his brothers uh, where they film their hunts, mm-hmm. you know, yep. there's a, a, a former teacher of mine who, um, uh, a friend of mine was saying that who also had him as a teacher, uh, he one time shot a, shot a deer and, uh, he thought that it was a marginal hit or he just mm-hmm. flat out missed. Well, then he went back home and he's like, you know what? I'm going to, I was videoing the hunt. Let me just check and see. And turns out he, uh, hit that deer for sure. And, uh, it was dead, like within a hundred yards, uh, where he hit it or whatever. And, you know, yeah. had he not had that video footage, he would have thought for all this time that he had missed the deer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, yeah. you know, th- having that little extra footage for a really tough tracking situation, uh, make the difference. Yeah. yeah. could make a huge difference, especially in this yeah. case where yeah, sure. minimal blood, sure. wet environment, poor scenting yeah. conditions for the dog. Yeah. Definitely, uh, definitely need to be looking. At, and then also some of those subtle things, it sounds like that, that Laura mentioned broken brush, you know, something that looks like they're, they're engaged in some kind of behavior that is different than their normal instinct, normal, uh, yeah. patterns of behavior. So that's, mm-hmm. that's all, it's all excellent tips. Well, we, uh, talked about your, uh, culinary skills with wild game at the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> uh, I have heard that, that Sika deer is just, just amazing meat. And, um, do you have any, you know, like go-to recipes you could share, for, share with us? Um, I don't know. It's really not much different than cooking any other form of venison. Um, okay. I will say compared to a white tail, you don't have to be quite as discerning about trimming all the fat off because um, oh, okay. your fat is not on unappetizing like a white tail right um okay that's good know, to know they are small animals you don't get a lot of meat off of them you really yeah. cannot go wrong with, with a grilled back strap i mean that is probably the best thing you can eat um yeah i, I don't know i treat it i treat it just like a would any you know steak or you know any cut of beef really sure um, yeah simple i don't like to overcomplicate sick of deer um i certainly when i do have some i tend to hoard it because you know they're a special treat and i spent a lot of time hunting yeah. them and i still yeah. don't have very much of it so. yeah no, yeah i don't blame yeah. you at all yeah laura did you would you would you say like did you did you end up like this one that you got this past year did you end up mm-hmm. do you typically take care of them yourself or do you take them to to like a local butcher I butcher everything myself. Um, oh, nice. That's will. awesome. Yeah, I've never had to uh, rely on a butcher shop, thankfully. Um, nice. It, that's probably back to the beginning of my whole how I got into hunting store, um, story. My dad used to have a small custom butcher shop. Oh, um, wow. And we did everything from pigs, cows, sheep, kind of the typical you know farm stock. But we also butchered deer. Okay. So I was helping him with the shop from an extremely young age wow taught me how to the deer so that's kind of something that i have always preferred to do myself um very sure. cool yeah it's just, for me it's 
I prefer it that way. That way I get it exactly how I want. I know that it's been taken care of properly. I know it's mine. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, Yeah, of course. Yeah. Man, that's really cool. Well, we just just when we just when we thought, what else does Laura do? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> also, a meat processor. Okay, okay. Maybe that's yeah, how that's yeah. how your uh, that's how your um, trapping mentee is going to come about. They're gonna, yeah. They're going to come to you for yeah. a, for a deer processing service, and then you're going to end up teaching them how to trap. No, that's. Uh, yeah. I still have so much to learn about trapping myself. <laughs> I've got a long ways to go before I'm going to be teaching anybody else. Well, I, well I, we are thoroughly impressed with. Uh, yes, all your... well, I think I think yeah, I think everyone will agree that if the zombie apocalypse comes, we do want Laura uh, on our team. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that's that's so cool, and um, you know, Laura, as as we wind this one down, we're just really privileged to have you on the show, and just as as Brandon was just saying we're we're thoroughly impressed with all that you've accomplished and you know we really just feel privileged that you would uh, be willing to give up a give up an evening a work night stay up late and uh you know educate us a little bit on on Seekadir actually in a big way <laughs> cleared up a lot of uh, misconceptions for me and uh I still want to do it it sounds like there's going it's going to be a little more challenging than just uh rolling off the airplane and uh you know, wrapping my tag around a stag, but, but, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it still just sounds like such a cool thing to do. And, and obviously just a, a lot of fun following you on social media. So, uh, how can people, uh, uh, keep it, uh, keep tabs on what Laura's up to? Well, I kind of try to keep my social media a little more low key and, and private. Um, I'm not looking, you know, for the world to follow me, but I do have a tracking dog page. Um, you can follow me at nice. Delmarva Tracking Hound. Awesome. Um, that, yeah, that's kind of where we, uh, you know, I try to keep that updated. Sometimes in the sure. peak of the season, that gets a little tough. Um, yeah. I try to keep it updated during the off season. I'm not overly social media savvy, but mm-hmm. I try. <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting they mentioned that because, you know, Ket and I have talked many times that, you know, it's, it's, it's usually the people that, you know, aren't updating all the time or aren't, you know, aren't up on it all the time that, you know, they're, they're the people with the real wisdom, you know, and, and the people with the real know-how, which obviously you are. So, I mean, it's, it's, we feel privileged to be able to learn from you a little bit and definitely look forward to hopefully connecting more down the road. Yeah, for sure. It was, uh, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it sure was. <laughs> and, uh, learn, learn so much, so many, uh, so many, um, like I said, so many misconceptions that I've had and, and just things that, <laughs> that I was ignorant to on seek a deer, but, but really sounds awesome. And then of course, you know, everything else you do is, is really cool. We hope to have you back on the show sometime. So, uh, yeah, I would that, definitely love to talk dogs sometime. Sorry. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. I think that would be a, an excellent thing for all of us to hear and, and just hear, you know, your, your take on, you know, maybe what, what, the average hunter could do to be a little bit more mm-hmm. uh on point with when it does come time to pull the trigger and you know, mm-hmm. how to how to do diligence with uh or you know with the preparation but also uh you know putting in the best effort and the most the most uh worthwhile or or smart effort for trying to recover that animal so i think mm-hmm. that would be uh 
uh, very much so a worthwhile episode to do and one that we will we will definitely plan to to make happen down the road but thank you uh, so much for joining us and of course if you're listening in please be sure to uh check out laura's uh tracking dog page that'd be cool you hopefully will get a you know a little taste of everything laura does out in the woods and and her her life that she has built uh within and around and all throughout the outdoors and uh really (laughs) just uh totally immersed in it and and very inspiring in that sense and uh also check out the the first shot program and uh, if you're looking into uh uh, try and hunting yourself sometime, you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. something that could, could help you get your feet under you a little bit and, and, uh, enjoy this thing that the three of us, uh, would, would say is our, our most favorite thing to do, I would imagine. But mm-hmm. also when you are done checking her, uh, content out, be sure to head over to the huntfishlife.com. You can head over there and see all the cool content that, uh, Brandon and his team put together, uh, with be turkey season here soon. And, uh, Delaware is a Turkey state. So mm-hmm. uh, Brandon, I'm sure excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Well, you know, today we, we kind of had like our, for, well, Laura knows, you know, we had our kind of our first really nice weather day today. And it, you know, it just like, Laura, I don't know if you thought this, but like I walked out this morning and I was like, man, it just smells like a turkey morning. You know, just like it had that kind of had that spring-ish smell out. It was still cold this morning, but it just had that smell like like it was going to be a warmer day. It got up to like maybe upper 60s here, mid mid to upper 60s here today. And it was just, I mean, it just felt so good. And we're supposed to have another couple of days of it, you know. So, you know, you start having weather like that and our turkey season is, you know, going to be open in about five, five weeks or so. So definitely excited to, you know, anything to get, get out there and you know keep the season underway so i know laura's excited about it i'm excited about it so man can't wait to get out there and continue to you know i've got a couple guys that i'm mentoring um you know through our club this year and looking forward to getting them out there and and you know getting them experienced with uh hopefully seeing a a bird go down so you know just i mean turkey hunting is so cool too you know taking people out and and you know the engagement that you have with the animal and even if you don't get something you know taking someone out and they're hearing hearing a gobbler in the distance i mean (laughs) You yeah, know, that, that just cool. that just run chills. I mean, it just run chills up your spine. You know, as as a new hunter, as someone who hasn't experienced that, I mean, that is a really cool experience. So, man, and then you know, hey, then we're then we're jumping into fishing right after that. So, I mean, man, there's there's always something to enjoy. You know, I mean, not yep. all of us not all of us get to enjoy it as much as Laura does, but <laughs> for as much as we all can, we we get out there and make an adventure and have a good time with it. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So be sure to be sure to check out Brandon and his team there at, at Hunt Fish Life, and you can see all that stuff he's talking about those uh, those turkey smelling mornings, or however you worded that. That might be kind of weird, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, be sure to head over to thehuntfishlife.com, check out all their gear as well at their shop, and then when you're done with with uh, those two, uh, make sure you check in on firstgenhunter.com and you can uh, find the links to all the other podcasts and articles that I've written and uh, you know hopefully real soon here uh, the uh, First Gen Hunter shop so uh, you got that yeah. to look into and then please leave us uh, those reviews and uh, and uh, interact with us on social media you can find Hunt Fish Life and First Gen Hunter on Instagram and Facebook and then uh, you can find uh, me on Go Wild as well uh, please be sure to check out all those things and interact as much as you can. We love hearing from you guys. We love that you are part of the first-gen hunter family. And until we talk again, 
take care and take someone hunting.